I would really like to keep this video up on YouTube. It was a great discussion between myself and Dr. Brian Artis. So I'm going to go ahead and put out a disclaimer so YouTube would be happy. And just start off by saying that the information reviewed in this video is merely the opinions of two individuals that have taken the time to read through a bunch of studies merely for fun and for the hell of it. By no means should this be your only source of information regarding not just COVID, but any virus for that matter. And please be sure to go and check your credible sources offered by YouTube or Facebook or any other big social media platform that has your best interests in mind. Again, this video is nothing more than the opinions of two individuals having a great conversation and enjoying talking about this topic. It is not an attempt to spread any kind of misinformation, and a lot of it is just speculation and should be viewed as such. Thank you. Hope you enjoy the interview. Dr. Artis, again, I appreciate you giving me the time. And like I said before, you know, I'm a very honest person. I was critical, extremely critical, uh, but I'm not a medical professional, right? My knowledge is limited, but I've gone through and I have taken the time to look up all of the studies that at least that you had shown on slides uh, during the Mike Adams interview, the Watch the Water uh, documentary, and then like the other documentary you were being interviewed by an Australian woman. So, and I did go through and I did read them. And I have questions regarding that. But to start, you know, where where are you now with this theory? Because I know with the water, it's kind of, you've taken some heat with the water. You know, where where are you now? Like if you had to sum it up in a sentence, it's, it, you know, COVID comes from snake venom and this is how they're spreading it. Like where are you with that now? Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, the the thing that I get the most kicked back on is the water aspect. It's really funny that the water gets the most attention, and I'm like, wait, I told you guys, I believe the weapon is venom. <laughs> like, how, how how did you get more scared about water and upset about water? I think it's so funny. Anyway, uh, I found that humorous because it was really just my opinion. It was I really think they're delivering this through the water now. Mm -hmm. Now five four weeks into the world now knowing what my problems were and my upset were uh, over venom and this revelation that I, Dr. Artis, believes they're utilizing water systems in your cities as the mm -hmm. delivery system. Mm -hmm. I'm actually still convinced that's where it's coming from. Uh, that hasn't changed at all, but I don't talk about that as much because I don't, that never was the message from the beginning. It wasn't, I want everybody scared of water. Look, if, even if it was in the water, it's in the air, doesn't matter. 99% of you all survived anyway. I always said the, the gain of function weapon, whatever it is, it sucked. It didn't kill everybody. It just made some people sick. The real weapon is in the hospitals and in the vaccine. And that's okay. the real. So I do want yeah. you to know that. I do want you to know. Yeah, no, I and I, I gathered that, you know, the more I've watched you, especially over the last few days, right, going through this and kind of recapping on things, I've gotten that from you. Originally, and I think – I. Look, I think the Stu Peters production was well done, but I do think he really emphasized on the water. Yep. And the way he made you sound in the interview was that, you know, it's, it's a snake venom infection. 
It's not a viral infection. In fact, it's like you emphasized it in that documentary, and it's in it's being coming through the water, right? Now you did say that you hadn't talked to anyone that had gotten COVID who lives on well water. Yeah, this was actually very consistent. There have been people who live on well water who have gotten COVID, and all I've ever it's been very few people. A lot of people okay. who actually do mention to me over the last five months that their family's never gotten COVID. I would look at them and go like this: Do you live on a well? Mm-hmm. In my asking, a hundred percent of the time they said. Yes, I live on a well. And I was like, that's weird. And they would go, why'd you ask me that? And I'd go, it's just something I'm coming up with. And I'd walk off. Yeah. Well, since then, I've had a whole bunch of people contact me and say, I live on a well. And oh my God, we never got COVID, including medical doctors. It's amazing. Yeah. It's like this weird phenomenon that now answers for them. But there are people who have said they live on wells and they've gotten COVID. And that's fine. I don't know if they went to a restaurant and got it or went on a plane and drank it. I don't know. I have no idea if they ever even left their house. I haven't quizzed them. It was just this weird observation as I was going along. Yeah. Well, that's, that was a, uh, so me and someone I usually uh, will co-host for, we were thinking about that. Now, when I got COVID, we were, I was down in Alabama on our property and I had already been there for two weeks. My grandmother got it who lives down there on Wellwater and my mom and my dad and myself we were all drinking the well water or from that source right the problem i have with the with the water deal is everyone has to drink water was it like four days is the max you can go if it was in the water even let's just say they were only doing it in city water and it was making it through the treatment how come anyone that is susceptible to getting COVID at that point, didn't get it in like a span of two weeks when this all started. And why did it take me two years to get it Yeah, on city water? Right. Yeah. And not everybody in the world got COVID. You know what I mean? Like not everybody got COVID anyway, regardless if it's in the air or in the water mm-hmm. or in the food. Uh, it was just, I will tell you, it was real basic. My observation was really mm-hmm. basic when it comes gotcha. to water. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you just how basic it was. I go through this with people. I did mm-hmm. it with Stu, too. Every time Stu would actually release some social media thing about water, like weeks before we even did the interview, I was like, Stu, I would call him and I'd go, Stu, why are you freaking out people about water? I, I don't <laughs> want people freaking out about water. It's this weapon that I'm worried yeah, about. I get it. They're delivering it. Um, I think they're just putting it in water and you're just drinking it. I mean, and it was this easy for me. It was this mm-hmm. easy and I still stand here consistently, and I will say it. Mm. I actually do think they're doing this through water. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting is, I just have to share this with your audience. I thought it was yeah, good. I've had medical doctors around the world who have wanted to like do interventions with me, it feels like, on Zoom calls. <laughs> In between my interviews, it's like all these medical doctors and scientists around the world, they, they feel like they need to confront me and like mm-hmm. try to, to me, it's like put me in check or something. Yeah. So I'll, I'll do all these calls. It's very interesting, actually, but they're doing these calls because they want to make sure that everyone's uh, in unity about the approach to treating COVID and handling COVID. They want to make mm-hmm. sure this isn't a distraction for everybody. And I'm like, it shouldn't be. I'm telling you, you've been right the whole time. Now add these few things in there and look yeah. at it in perspective. That's all. Uh, anyway, so I just have to tell you that this was very interesting to me. Just four nights ago, I had 30 medical doctors or so on a call, and you would know all of them, all of them. You would know all of them. If anybody's watching COVID and anybody talking about COVID, anti-COVID, uh, they're in this call. And the, the main medical doctor who organized the call said, Dr. Artis, we're here because we want to make sure that 
this small group that's fighting this COVID mandate worldwide that we're all in unison and we're all united. And I was like, okay. Very first thing they want to know is about the water, right? So I talk about the water. On the same call as an ER medical doctor right now, it goes like this. Um, I support Dr. Artis with his venom aspect of COVID, but I don't believe it's delivered in the water. I, from my experience treating respiratory illnesses, believes it's a respiratory virus and they have put snake venom spike proteins on a virus and it's respiratory. Mm -hmm. Now, I just have to tell you, this is really ironic. This is only like four days ago. The purpose of this call was asked for all these people to come on and make sure that we're all united in our messaging. Now I'm sitting there and I'm like, I actually do believe it's in water. Well, <laughs> this guy, this doctor goes, um, I don't think it's in the water. I think it's a respiratory virus and not a joke. The most senior medical doctor on the call mm -hmm. goes like this. You're both wrong. It's not respiratory and it's not in water. It's actually a contact pathogen. And she's like, they're just putting it on like doorknobs and on keyboards and that's how you're getting it. And I was like this, uh, <laughs> okay. Whatever the attempt of this call was to make us all united. Completely blown away. It was totally blown out of the water. It was just so funny. funny to me. I was like, okay, so, let, so I just want to like this. Look, look, can I just gather all you back in? All of us agree <laughs> to some degree. There is a weapon mm. that they are using, but we all have these ideas of how it's being delivered and mm -hmm. it's okay. You just need to know what you're treating. And that's been the whole message all along. And I just want to reiterate that. Yeah. I actually have a new documentary coming out next week. I'm going to let your audience know about it. Right yeah, go now. ahead. Yeah. This actual uh, documentary will be created by Jonathan Otto, who's a documentary film creator and has been for years. Him and his editing team, he's been flying here to my house from Puerto Rico like every week to do filming mm -hmm. since this stuff broke. And he didn't know I was working on this stuff. But there's a new documentary going to be released next week. It's going to be called Covenom 19. Okay. Uh, and we are going to actually be showing the world declassified documents from the CIA that back in the 70s. And if you've seen my interviews, mm -hmm. I show this Italy study where they found 36 venom peptides inside of the... Yearly. From 1975, I believe it was. Yeah, no, this, this is actually the Italy COVID-19 patient study where they found mm -hmm. 36 different venoms from snakes and conotoxins in yeah. COVID-19 patients and not in those that didn't have it. We're going to take you through actually this declassified CIA project unrelated to the one you're about to talk about because mm -hmm. you've probably seen interviews, but uh, they actually used the venoms that they found in COVID-19 patients mm -hmm. in the seventies, the CIA was putting it in water and putting it up the buildings of the federal CIA buildings. And they were poisoning their own employees with the venoms at the water fountain. And then they disclosed to Congress, how they would get the venom out of the water without even filtering it out. They already knew how to do it. So they would poison their own agents, go treat the agents for the poison that they drank that comes from these venomous creatures. And then they would actually put something in the water to kill the venom so that it couldn't be detected without having to filter the water. It was pretty eye opening. So they were doing that back in the seventies. They easily could do it now. They already know how to do it. It's Sounds like something the KGB would do. It is crazy actually. So anyway, that's going to come out next week and, it was the yeah. wildest thing ever to uncover this stuff. I was like, I had no idea this even existed. Is that going to be on, on Rumble? or? Uh... It will be on Rumble. Jonathan okay. Otto will publish it. He's got massive following. I'm going to actually produce and release, sorry. We're going to release the trailer. It's two and a half minutes this Friday. 
when okay. I'm at the reawakened tour, we're going to do it up on stage for all the live audiences. It'll be broadcast worldwide. It'll be fun. Awesome. Um, so let's so it's get, possible. it's possible, yeah. not, not proven, just possible. No, no. Yeah. And you know, the water, it was hard for me to believe if it was only the water, right? Because of like my first question when I said, okay, well, if it's in the water and we all have to drink water. Now I got a theory that I think maybe, and it's not going to change your mind, but it'll be feasible on how it could spread, whether or not it's snake venom or whatever, right? But we'll uh, get to that later. But the first thing, and I think it's a big part of this from everything I've gathered, the is it, uh, SPLA2. I think that's the peptide you were talking about. And if it's my an terminology enzyme. is wrong. It's called an enzyme. You're enzyme. Okay. There we go. Uh, but I do know the SPLA2 was a big part, and that was originally discovered in cobra venom. And now SPLA2 is also found in bees' venom and in humans. In ma mammalia, which is humans and other, was it milk-producing mammals? Yeah. Uh, and it's found in, I believe, all of our tissue. And that is what kind of again, correct me if I'm wrong, but is connected to inflammation. Like if I had an injury, it will basically cause inflammation, right? And then those would be elevated, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So when, you, when you're going through your interviews, everything you're saying is feasible. It is. And you're, and you're showing the studies, you're showing the data. But then I'm looking at it from a different take, and I'm saying, okay, let's say someone has a comorbidity, and they come in, and I'm looking at people who have a heart disease or certain other conditions would actually have elevated levels of this SPLA2 or the PLA2, I believe it is, the different types of it, and they would have inflammation. They also could be taking a drug like lisinopril, which is made from snake venom, which could be causing some of the symptoms you're, you're discussing, maybe uh, equivalent so that you have the inflammation and the destruction of tissue because of the COVID virus right? Regardless of whatever COVID is, could it be the opposite way? Could it be that COVID isn't snake venom, but you're seeing the correlations because of the comorbidities and, you know, that, that enzymes take doing its job. They're coming in, they're taking a medication that is made from snake venom because of that comorbidity. And the virus, someone who has this comorbidity is going to the hospital and they are having a bad reaction because of that health condition sure yeah so what you're saying is is how is this what if it's just possible that the inflammatory reactions of a virus or a respiratory disease or if someone had comorbidities like heart disease diabetes mm -hmm. chronic kidney failure what if they're being treated with things that possibly drive those inflammatory responses that we naturally have in our body spla2 possible mm -hmm. lipase enzymes Yes. Did I did I get that right? Yes. Yeah, this is great. Okay, because on this call with 30 doctors the other day, <laughs> they brought this up. They mm -hmm. immediately brought it up. They're like, this PLA2 thing, Dr. Artis, that you keep talking about, this phospholipase A2 enzyme. Yes, it was originally found in King Cobra venom. That was just a fact from the study. I just quoted how ironic it was found from that in the spike protein for SARS-CoV-2. Cobra mm -hmm. toxin is one of the two most likely origin sources. Uh, that sounds really too ironic. 
But when I actually had this addressed and Dr. Ryan Cole was moderating this call, who's a pathologist, I was actually most excited to talk to Ryan Cole after all this stuff that I'd been learning because he could back up everything. Mm-hmm. And he, he's the one that brought it up in the call. He said, uh, chronic illnesses already have elevated levels of PLA2. Mm-hmm. I mean, they already have this naturally in their body. Yeah. Now, now I'm going to tell you something because this has become very apparent to me mm-hmm. that it could very well be, and I'm not spending my time to prove this, but my brain tells me this could very well be true. Mm-hmm. The people who have comorbidities are being treated with pharmaceutical drugs. What if those pharmaceutical drugs for heart disease, diabetes, chronic kidney failure, high blood pressure, what if the majority of them are from snake venom derived drugs? And what if Mm -hmm. that is why you're finding SPLA2 in these conditions? I'm not trying to prove that. That's just been something that came up in my brain. I'm like, that will be something I will look at later. But I do have to tell you something. Last night, I did a phone call. Mm -hmm another zoom call with a medical doctor and internist out of florida she wanted to do a whole presentation with me on the call just watching and it's everything related to the origin sources of sars cov2 our venom mm-hmm. it gets into that study about phospholipase a-, a enzymes and this is the the phospholipase enzymes spla2 she brings that up and brings it up on the on the screen and i, I have to tell you i already addressed this with the other 30 doctors i said look you guys are missing it I know you say that SPLA2 is found in chronic inflammatory conditions already in humans. Mm-hmm. That isn't what this study confirmed. What they confirmed was the elevations in the people who died from COVID-19 mm-hmm. in their blood. There was levels of phospholipase A2, unlike they had ever seen in a human with any precondition ever. It was higher than they've ever seen, not with heart disease, not with kidney failure, not with diabetes, not with neurological disease. They've never seen this much of this stuff. It reminded them of looking, it says, at venom coursing through the the body of these people. Why? They've never seen elevations like that, except Mm -hmm. for snake venom people. So this was the observation. It was not like what they have seen clinically ever. Now, okay, so in these SPLA2s, they come from the snake venom, I believe uh, spiders as well, spider venom, bee venom. Scorpions. Yep. All, any type of venom, right? Yeah. Human, uh, mammalia or is what it says, but humans will say, uh, in our tissue. But the other one was bacteria. Now, could that elevated SPLA2 be from a bacterial infection caused by the COVID virus in the form of pneumonia? Yes, except if it came from COVID. Mm-hmm. COVID was supposedly a virus. It would have been viral pneumonia, not bacterial. Even though it's a, it turns into an infection. Again, this is where I don't know, right? I've had pneumonia, but not from COVID. So, uh, There's two kinds of pneumonia, bacterial and viral. If you have mm-hmm. the flu that turns into pneumonia, that would be termed a viral right. pneumonia. Okay. If you got a bacterial infection, like uh, it doesn't even matter what the virus, uh, let's say salmonella or something else, and bacteria ended up getting into your lungs, then it would be a bacterial form of pneumonia. Mm-hmm. So, and, and the SPLA2s can't come, they're not found in viruses, right? They're nope. just found, the bacteria, the m- mammals, and the venoms. Right. So, and the SPLA2 stuff with the COVID-19 patients, mm-hmm. they, they said this is a biomarker scientists and doctors should look at for more mortality of COVID-19 patients. The higher this enzyme, the more likely they'll be hospitalized and die. That's what they said. That was the observation. Well, I, I have... 
my problem with that study was every mm -hmm. single one of those patients had remdesivir pumping through their veins before they died. And mm -hmm. I don't like remdesivir. And it reads a lot like cobra venom. Now, now, I have a study here, and it did say that they can find slightly elevated or slightly higher levels of SPLA2 in people who are prone to heart conditions or some of these comorbidities, right? Before yeah. they may even be treated for them. Yeah, and it can and be true. Yeah, and so that's kind of where, you know, well, couldn't that be the prediction then? If they're testing them and they're seeing, well, they do have slightly higher amounts of this than a, you know, perfectly healthy individual. And then now we can predict that maybe they will be more prone because they already have more than the average person. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, there's one thing that this brought attention to regardless, even if I'm wrong, I mean, I'm totally okay with being wrong. Mm -hmm. If I'm wrong that the phospholipase enzyme that they're using as a biomarker for SARS-CoV-2 patients isn't actually coming from the venom aspect of COVID-19 or the drug therapies or the vaccines for COVID-19, if it's not coming from there, all of you have missed it this whole time. They've been telling you to address phospholipase enzyme as the marker for hospitalization of death of COVID-19. And no one's been treating it that way. Yeah. And there's ways of treating that enzyme, regardless if it's venom or not, that people have been ignoring and not looking at. So this doctor last night was like, oh my God, there's multiple things that address this. Nicotine does, ashwagandha does, choline does. These are all things that inhibit and block phospholipase enzyme mm -hmm. that could possibly already be there in a person with a, a precondition or scenario where they might have heart disease coming right in the early stages. If it's already in there and that's a marker, there's ways of addressing it. And then we can save all these COVID-19 patients anyway. Like, well, And that would go back to just even, and you, you know, I'm just thinking if you haven't, let's say you haven't gotten it yet, but you're prone to it. Maybe it's a genetic thing. I don't know. Maybe my cholesterol is a little higher and I'm prone to heart disease, right? I may have elevated levels of this. Well, if I'm out exercising and eating right and just, you know, traditional remedies, that would be another treatment that you could. The internist, you told me last night, the internist told me last night, as a result of all this information coming out and me directing people to look at this phospholipase enzyme, I look at it as it's venom. They're looking at it as it's also a biomarker. It's already in the body. It mm -hmm. could have just been accelerated by this. It doesn't matter. Go address PLA2 and you'll save everybody's life. And this is what she said last night. As a result of you bringing this to light, I now test every single patient for their PLA2 numbers in their blood, regardless mm -hmm. of who they are. As a, as a predetermination of how, we, how it is, they might be a risk factor individually for COVID-19 or other variants. She's yeah. like, I could not believe I missed this. Uh, that we didn't actually address this, but, uh, but shouldn't that be shouldn't that be done even if COVID wasn't a thing? You would imagine if they knew this, right? I mean, that's just you would think. But so, I saw the SPLA twos, and I was like, okay, I see where he's getting at. And you also said they found that in the vaccine, and so that's where the snake venom part of this actually would make sense because if it was in the vaccine, it'd be like, well, if we already got it in our body, why are we trying to elevate the levels and give them more, right? Uh, I read a study on cobra venom, though, because it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it does seem like you believe a, a lot of this derives from the king cobra. Uh, the Chinese cobra, the Chinese king cobra, one of the oddities it seemed like in the study I read was that the PLA2 actually wasn't that much of an active ingredient in its venom. It wasn't that big of a player. It's actually the highest in King Cobra versus all other venoms. And it was, 
and when you read the study, it says that there's different king cobras from different geographical areas. They each have variant uh, venoms. Where it was hard for me to get on board with the snake venom theory. Here's how I think of it. He's got a good theory, well thought out theory. He's got the information. What do I know about snake venom? Okay, I know some basics right off the back. If I get bit by a snake, what's the first thing they're going to ask me? What kind of snake bit me? Why? Because the anti-venom they treat you with is different, and each snake is different. You have vipers, like a rattlesnake is a viper, and for the most part, I believe they have hemotoxic venom, but you have the Mojave who has neurotoxic venom. So you have certain breeds that have different types of venom. Uh, then you have elapids, which would be a cobra is an elapid. Cobras have different types of venom, but for the most part, from what it says, they usually have some neurotoxic venom on that side of the tree there. But they also have some cytotoxic venom, which then brings me into this next thing. I've seen pictures of people that have been bitten by rattlesnakes. I know some people that have been bitten by rattlesnakes. Uh, and then I saw another, another study on cobra venom. It, it was like 100% of the people they tested in the study had tissue damage at the side of the bite. And if we go back to, let's say it's either remdesivir or it's the vaccine, if that was a venom, and I believe in Watch the Water, and I think you even may have said this in the Mike Adams interviews too, that the peptide they're using is the part that is causing this hemorrhaging or you know this, this tissue destruction. Why aren't we seeing that at the site of injection like you would a, a snake bite? Yeah, so one of the things that were was very eye-opening to me, because I actually thought the same thing. I was like, man, if they're just injecting with the vaccines, king cobra venom, rattlesnake venom, you should see, like, dying tissue <laughs> or red irritation at the site of injection. You should see that. Mm -hmm. What was very eye-opening was, and I, I actually do think it was that primarily it's got to be king cobra venom, but that's not what the geneticist found. The geneticist said it was most identical to the origin source of Chinese crepe venom. Which wouldn't have that effect. Which does not have side mm -hmm. of infection symptoms. It's okay. like weird to get bit and the people don't even hardly know they got bit by anything and mm -hmm. have no idea until the neurotoxic, cytotoxic, and yeah. blood toxic effects of the crepe. So it really could be that it's more crepe than King Cobra and that would explain mm -hmm. why people don't have the reactions. However, the venom glands themselves, you have to understand, they're not milking snakes to do mm -hmm. this. They're not milking the entire 19 venoms inside mm -hmm. of the glands of the cobra and putting it in your water. They're not taking the whole venom and putting it on a virus and sending it out into the air. They're using small amino acid chains called peptides mm -hmm. of the entire protein of the snake venom. They're not using the whole thing. These are all synthesized. These are all synthetically made. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they can isolate the, from the 19, there's specifically 19 in the Indian king cobra venom, for example, and in vipers, according to Dr. Brian Fry out of Australia in 2005. Vipers and king cobras have exactly 19 venom-specific toxins in their venom gland and in their venom that specifically target specific tissues in your body. And if mm -hmm. you can isolate those, if you can isolate those and mm -hmm. not do all 19, whichever ones of the 19 cause the at the site of injection symptoms, if you just excreted those out and use mm -hmm. the other ones, it's just going to go into your bloodstream or into your tissues and cause hematologic, neurotoxic, and cytotoxic, less cytotoxic, obviously. But uh, now, now, I do believe, though, what causes the at the site 
uh, issues or damage, right, has more to do with what the venom does to your blood. If let's say it's whatever the effect this venom has on the blood is what's causing it to destroy tissue, and you're seeing that same effect on the blood internally, maybe be it increased prothrombin time, then wouldn't that be the same peptide or that same part of the venom that they're using that would thus then destroy the tissue? Uh, I would think so. However, remember the fang is going to go through your skin. Mm-hmm. The fang goes through your skin first, and the venom's already coming out. Yeah. As it inserts into your skin, then as it gets into muscle and fat, it's still injecting it. Then when it mm-hmm. gets to the blood vessel, if it hits one of those, that's even worse. It's going to mm-hmm. release the venom right into your bloodstream. You, you're missing all of that when you insert a needle through the skin into mm-hmm. a blood vessel and then release the venom or the drug. You're actually skipping the fat, skin, blood, muscle. You're skipping all of that. And that's not what snakes skip. They don't skip that stuff. They don't just wait till it goes into your blood vessel and then inject your venom. Mm-hmm. If they inject it into whatever tissue that venom, that fang first goes into, it's getting released into all those tissues. And it has necrotic-like factors, cell toxic factors, blood toxic, fat toxic, mm-hmm. uh, nerve toxic, all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. So. But then, and again, I'm just asking... Oh, Put it in your veins, I believe. You may not see it on the outside then, but wherever that needle ends, if, like if I got the shot in my arm here, right? You you're gonna see. You would imagine that cytotoxic that the cobra has yeah, is taking so. effect inside of my shoulder. You would have. Wouldn't that still cause infections? I mean, you think we would be seeing people with a lot more issues, tissue issues, be it internally wherever they're getting the shot? That's where I started having my doubts on this right um just listening okay you're saying well it's having this effect internally then you brought the rat study where they were injecting the rats in their lungs and it was having that effect which makes sense with what you just said where that you know a rat's a little animal give them a needle put it right in their lungs and it destroys their lungs but a person they're giving it you know me the vaccine in my shoulder they actually didn't put the actual venom in the lungs of the mouse they just put it Mm -hmm. right into their body they just injected Mm -hmm. it into like a vaccine and then it started rupturing the vessels called alveoli sacs in the lungs. Okay. Mm-hmm. They started bleeding internally into their lungs. That's a side effect of cobra venom. That sucks for those rats. <laughs> uh, it's happening to you. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And I just, even though it's synthesized, if they're taking parts of it and they're using the parts, like I said, that are consistent with the blood, you know, and or other effects, you would imagine those same effects would occur with the needle. Sure. The other thing with the snake venom and you had brought up the children. I know so, a couple of people have asked you this. Why isn't this affecting everyone? Why are we seeing COVID being deadly to just the older demographic, right? Whereas if, everyone that gets bit by a snake and gets envenomated is screwed as far as effects wise, right? Why is it not consistent across ages? Now I know you brought up the uh, melatonin, increased melatonin in children. And I believe you said that melatonin inhibits snake venom. But I looked it up, and actually children had no difference when bitten by a rattlesnake than an adult when it came to the effects. The only slight difference was, uh, I think, the time it took for some of the effects. But other than that, it still happened at the same rate in fact, kids were far more at risk of dying because they were smaller. Yeah. So, so it didn't seem like melatonin really made all that much of a difference. 
Have you looked up melatonin studies and snake venom? So I started doing that towards the end here, and I was trying to look up the statistics as far as the effects of just children and the snake venom, yeah. right? Um, because people were sending me that from around the world. That wasn't something that I came up with. People were sending yeah. me that stuff after the. I know, I know, and I'm just, I'm just relaying. That's phenomenal. Yeah. If it answers that for you, that's great. I haven't even taken time to look at that. Yeah. So that's just where I was coming from with that, right? As far as, and and which brings me to my next question. Then, if snake venom is impacting kids the same it's actually putting them more at risk because they're smaller now obviously you can change doses when it comes to vaccine and COVID treatments but they're not going to the hospital for COVID. in fact they're hardly getting it right and if they're hardly getting it but it's snake venom and when they get bit by snakes or it's partially snake venom whatever and when they get bit by snakes they're having the same impacts that a middle-aged adult would have or an elderly person would have you would imagine you would still see consistency as far as them getting COVID or them having effects from the vaccines they're getting or whatever treatment, I don't think the treatment's fair because I don't know, there's hardly anyone, any kid getting treatment for COVID, right? Yeah, so number one, kids don't get affected by COVID, so don't vaccinate them. That's my first message. That's ridiculous, don't even do it. I'd agree, I'd agree. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't even do it, that's ridiculous. So what's the protective mechanism and why is it actually so selective against elderly than it is over children? It appears the COVID-19 infection mm -hmm. or disease process. Uh, nothing is more deadlier than the, you have to remember 99% of everybody around the world supposedly has been exposed to this virus and or hundred percent of people, 99% of you all lived. So it wasn't that deadly to all of you anyway. <laughs> the people who are dying are dying mm -hmm. in hospitals from COVID-19 hospital protocols and from the shots, mm -hmm. that's where they're dying. Mm -hmm. So whatever the reason that children are protected, there have been people around the world sending me research studies that melatonin in children's higher than in adults. And this actually answered some of their questions when they looked up research on their own mm -hmm. of melatonin's inhibitory effect against venoms. Mm -hmm. so that's phenomenal. I've never studied children getting bit by snakes and adults bit by snakes. That wasn't something in my wheelhouse. I was trying to explain how you're going to treat venom, period, yeah. who you were. So yeah. So if that answers that for you, great. Look up those research studies because I've had tons of them sent to me. That melatonin yeah. is inhibitory. And I will tell you, hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine and ivermectin, mm -hmm. I didn't even know until three months ago that they were inhibitory since 1993, known to inhibit 50% of all neurotoxins in snake venom mm -hmm. in people. I had no idea. All by themselves. I didn't say you just need hydroxychloroquine. Even these studies said you don't just need hydroxychloroquine. They said it inhibits 50% of it. But mm -hmm. zinc's also protective, so is corticosteroids like budesonide and other things. And all these early treatments have worked for COVID. And if mm -hmm. it works for venoms and they've known it for decades, you should throw it right at this thing, regardless of uh, being a child, being an adult, you'll survive. Yeah. So why why don't you think that we, in your opinion, I guess, why is it that anti-venom seems to be the only go-to, at you know, even as of now, for a traditional snake bite why aren't they throwing ivermectin hydroxychloroquine and stuff to try and treat maybe like a copperhead bite that doesn't have all that much of an impact right it's very mild why aren't they throwing that at it and why do they go right to the antivenom isn't that weird why don't they do that you know, you know what else is weird this spla2 enzyme if you haven't looked into this this is what i explained to everybody i'm like if you haven't been paying attention to one company that company called Ophirix, y'all need to watch this company, Ophirix, O-P-H-I-R-E-X.com. Mm -hmm. Ophirix, right now, they're investing, as you're asking right now, why are they Why are they just using antivenom? Why don't they use 
monoclonal antibodies, are, which are antivenom. Why don't they use hydroxychloroquine, zinc, ivermectin? Why don't they use NAC? Why don't they use vitamin C? These are all inhibitory to snake venoms. That's a great question. Why aren't they doing that? They should mm -hmm. be doing that. What's amazing is, is our Department of Defense, the Welcome Trust Fund, the World Health Organization right now mm -hmm. is donating $100 million to a company called Ophirix over the next seven years. They're allocating $100 million to Ophirix and other anti-venom companies. Mm -hmm. And they're creating an oral anti-venom pill. Do you know what it's being used for right now? What's that? There's a study called STAIRS, S-T-A-I-R-S. Their drug, an oral anti-venom pill only from Ophirix, is now in its third phase of trials for curing COVID. Is that the respiratory is that, distress syndrome? Is that the oral antiviral? Is that the oral anti-venom pill? And it, all it does is block the phospholipase enzyme, SPLA2. Mm -hmm. That's all it does. It addresses in snake bites. They're doing it in COVID. It's having massive success. Uh, why aren't they using vitamin C? Why aren't they using uh, vitamin D and zinc and copper, which is protective against snake venom bites? What about corticosteroids? Nope. They're going to come up with a new patented anti-venom pill that just blocks phospholipase enzyme. And uh, they're going to find it works miraculously, by the way. They already are. Do you but, remember uh, what that pill's called, by the way? I had yeah. something here that yeah. I was going to ask you because that was a, a study I had pulled up here. Yeah, it's on called a pill. Veraslibid is what it's called. Veraslibid. V-A-R-E-S-L-I-B-I-D. There's -I -D. another one that started with a D they were coming out with. I think it was, I don't remember the company, but it started with a D. But uh, back to the zinc, because I saw a study where it said that people who had high levels of vitamin C had some more protection against snake venom. Yeah. But snake venom apparently actually feeds off of zinc. And it needs destroys it. zinc. Yeah, it actually yeah. It actually cuts zinc out of your cells and it makes mm -hmm. you deplete zinc and mm -hmm. copper. And the reason why snake venom is so effective, like King Cobra venom, to cause internal hemorrhaging mm -hmm. by causing anti-blood clotting, right? It makes it really thin like water, mm -hmm. is it makes your body deplete copper from your blood vessels. And when you do that, the copper, when it's removed from blood vessels by snake venom, it causes the blood vessels to expand and then rupture. It's called aneurysms, and that leads to internal bleeding. That's mm -hmm. when you bleed internally, which yeah. is what that everything is affecting the lungs by all these venoms. So liquid you're saying that we're seeing in COVID patients isn't not liquid, but you know, the congestion in the lungs is actually blood, it's not pus or a pneumonia. Yeah, okay. yeah that's even become more disgusting. These COVID nineteen patients, as it reads, if this is remdesivir has a side effect, the NIH says to increase prothrombin time, which is no different than what cobra toxin does. But if it's doing that, the, the king cobra venom actually mm -hmm. causes hemorrhaging of your alveolar sacs, and these people are bleeding into their lungs. Mm -hmm. And when they take a picture of an x-ray, it will look like blood inside the blood vessels or airways of your lungs, and it will look like pneumonia. Yeah. But it's not. They're actually bleeding to death internally. And that's what snake venom does to lung tissue. That's what it does, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And that would be, again, because of the portion of that venom that is actually destroying tissue around your lungs. Yeah. Which you would imagine. Everywhere in your yeah. body, not just in your lungs. Yeah. It's in your kidneys, liver. This hepatitis stuff with children, by the way, in the 5 to 11-year-old age range mm -hmm. that they're reporting in the media right now is an absolute tall tale sign of venom in the child, mm -hmm. in, the, in any kid or adult. It actually attacks the liver, kidneys, pancreas, heart, and lungs of most people.
Mm-hmm. And so, well, where I was going with the tissue destruction, because like you said, it's not just lungs, it's other, it's everything. Well, that leads me back to at the site of the injection too. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't we see that? Um, it's a great question. I have no idea. Yeah. And so that's kind of, you know, the first thing that, that got me on that. Now, look, wait, when I first watched the documentary, right, these are what came to my head, right, sure. and what gave me the doubts. And I relayed those doubts to my audience, so they heard that. And so I'm just one for my own purposes, you know, want to see where your head was at with this. Yeah. And I'm sure if I'm thinking it, a lot of other people were too. Now, I did want to bring this up because you made the comment uh, on the Mike Adams interviews that with the monoclonal antibodies and how effective they were against COVID, uh, and what you're saying is because the monoclonal antibodies are a, a form of any venom, and because COVID is a venom infection, that's why it's effective. And that's why the government doesn't want us using the monoclonal antibodies. And you made the comment that now the CDC or the NIH or the, uh, what was the other one? Yeah, FDA was banning the use as of January 2022. Now, I went back and checked on that. So, January 24th, 2022 is when it started. Yeah, and I found three different ones. I found one from the NIH, a statement, uh, two statements from the CDC, and another one from uh, the FDA. Well, these are all based off the FDA, though. And what they did ban, they didn't ban the use of monoclonal antibodies. They banned the use of two different types of the five that they were using because of what they are saying, it's lack of effectiveness against the Omicron variant. Exactly. But they did say that they would allow it those two, and one of them was the Regen Cove uh, from Regeneron, which is what Trump received when he was sick, and it's like a cocktail of those antibodies. And again, it was because of that variant was not it was not effective against the variant. So I had a couple different thoughts here. Okay, well they're still allowing. Actually, hold up. It goes even but, further. They say they're banning Regeneron and another one because it wasn't effective against COVID, and mm-hmm. they said they will allow one called Citrovimab. Now, just so you know. Within mm-hmm. one week of them saying you could use citrovimab, which was a monoclonal antibody, mm-hmm. within one week, they started publishing articles that it neither was effective for Omicron and they don't recommend it anymore either. You can see that on Medscape. So the first thing that came to my mind then is, all right, let me look at it from the, the point of view of if this was like a venom. And like I said in the beginning, when you get bit by a snake, you go to the hospital, well, what bit you? What kind, right? So there's different types of venom. Well, now we're seeing these different variants, apparently. And these antivenoms, or the monoclonal antibodies, were effective against the first, I don't know what, Delta and whatever the original one was. Alpha. Yeah, and then whatever, I, I think there was one in between Delta and Omicron, wasn't there? Beta, Delta. Whatever they were. There's some, hell, Beta there's... Omicron, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if, let's say, you know, again... Well, some antivenoms aren't, uh, they're useless against other types of venom. Couldn't this be the same concept then? Couldn't they actually be correct saying that because, and I don't, I'm not saying whether they caused it, whoever caused it, right? But if it is a different variant, what if the variant is a different venom type, which is a lot less lethal, statistically speaking, than the other ones? Well, they would be correct saying that, well, these two don't work. Right, I mean, it, wouldn't that actually be feasible? Like a good reason to not? Sure, your your podcast is appearing less conservative than I thought. <laughs> this is actually, I'm a critical thinker, but you got to listen to the other shows. Those are extremely conservative. I'm trying to keep it clean I'm just here. I'm just kidding. And, this is really funny because 
I, I love this argument actually because then it would suggest that the government's actually looking out for your best interest. Oh no, no, I already know this. They're, they're not. Yeah, no. And I, in my opinion, look, my opinion, look, I know this is fully created in a lab, right? And and I'm not saying they're, it's not from say. So I was gonna, you know, really get down asking you, do you think it could be from the snake itself? Okay, but not the venom. And uh, because I'm, you know, what I'm thinking is the uh, SPLA twos. If it's in the venom, then it has to be in the snake, because the snake is producing the venom from its internal makings right i believe it's, it's it's saliva and it's got other things that cause cause it to make that venom for the purpose of killing and digesting so again i'm not a scientist but i'm assuming if if us humans have spla2 then the snake would have to have spla2 as well to help produce and put that spla2 into the venom it's one of the things the venom makes yes yeah so why is it not feasible where yeah, they could have made this in a lab, but why couldn't they just have used the illness from the snake? The other thing is, too, is when you look at the Wuhan market, if it did come from the market, they were selling the snakes at the market, right? So people were around the snakes. It's not like people weren't around this, be it in a lab, be it at the market, wherever. They were around it. Could it just as easily be an illness that was crossed over from snake to human instead of being the venom part of it? Like an infection that came from a snake, like the snake coughed on you. Yeah, or I mean, you know, like they say, what was the original SARS came from a bat or whatever, right? From a couple of years ago, because this isn't the first coronavirus. Coronaviruses have been around for a while. If you look, I tell people all the time, you go look on the back of your cleaning stuff that you bought long before COVID. Coronavirus has been around. It's all in there. So the sixties. Yeah, and apparently, again. People have theories, but you know, the last one came from a bird or a pig or whatever the hell animal it came from. Well, couldn't that same thing then, because of your Wiley study, like you said, because the Wiley study, I don't believe ever says anything about the venom. It just says it the codons were very closely related to the crate and the, the cobra. Bias, which represents the origin source of a species, was most mm -hmm. identical to crate venom or crate snakes and Chinese yeah. cobra. But they didn't say the venom, right? And that study also maintains the fact that this is a virus, not a venom infection, right? Yeah, they so they so. actually say the virus itself has more bat genetic sequencing. Yeah. So was it. Mm -hmm. But the codon usage bias, which was origin taught for geneticist, was most common to the snakes. Yeah. Which I had to go look that up because I originally thought, well, hell, if it's you know clo genetically closely related to the bat, that fits that whole narrative, but then, okay, I listened to you on the codon deal, and I go look at what the codon is, and I, again, this was last night when I was driving back up here, but it seemed like, okay, it would make more sense for it to be, to come from the snake instead of the bat because of the codon, the way, it, I guess it, that makes it more, what, more transferable, I don't know, hell, it's just, uh, so the actual researchers out of France, just to help you out, mm -hmm. they're the ones that sequence the spike protein, Mm -hmm. And its genetic sequence was most identical to two neurotoxins in venoms of Chinese crate and Chinese king cobras. That's mm -hmm. what they said. And they said that those two venoms are neurotoxic and they attack what's called nicotinic acetylcholine receptors in the brain mm -hmm. that control smooth muscle contraction, including the diaphragm of a mm -hmm. mammal. And they said maybe this surmises why we're observing that smokers are the least hospitalized for COVID-19. Maybe nicotine plays a role at protecting against these venoms that attack nicotinic acetylcholine receptors in the brain. 
Mm-hmm. And it's not a respiratory anything. So they actually asked all governments around the world to do nicotine studies because it was actually 2% of people worldwide who were smokers were ending up in hospitals for COVID-19. And they thought it should have been 95% if it was respiratory. Now, is there a statistic on the ones that did get sick, what their chances of surviving were? For those who were in the hospitals? Yeah, like that 2 would you say, that 2% that did go to the hospital? I mean, what were their chances? They couldn't have been very high. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even see the results of those. They were just observing that smokers were the least likely hospitalized worldwide. And then I know that our FDA, the ones we were just talking about, our government, they yeah. flat out lied to everybody and said people are dying and being hospitalized who are smokers more than anybody else. And that was never yeah. true. Well, they also said, you know, people that were getting in car accidents, be, you know, they test positive for COVID and that's a death. So I'm 100% agree with you on the whole government deal, right? And I'm just trying to be critical thinking about this. Yeah. So, and I will say, uh, Whatever it is what we were just talking about a second ago, it could be, uh, just want you to know, in everything in relationship to everything I was looking at, that's been restricted and punishing medical doctors for using against COVID. That is successful based on all the medical doctors I know, Peter McCullough, Ryan Cole, Richard Urso, Richard Bartlett, they're all treating using these early treatment protocols. Everything that's working that they're being punished for using also works against venom, which mm-hmm. is weird. Just so, yeah, what? And, and going back to the doctors, right, and, and the way that they should treat this, because I, you said that, hey, treat it like it's a venom infection, right? Treat it like – treat it basically what you think is the be- – what the doctor thinks is the best way to treat it, which yeah. you would imagine is how it should be, right? If ivermectin works for one person, then why wouldn't you use it for that one person? Yeah. It, you know, it, everyone's different, especially in my job. I work in finance. No one's the same, you know, and I would get in a lot of trouble if I treated everyone the same. So why are we letting doctors get by with that? Now, and why are we punishing them for trying to treat patients like individuals? Exactly. And that brings me to something that the CDC actually said regarding the FDA uh, restriction on the use of the monoclonal antibodies is, you know, it says, uh, let me see, I have it written down here. It says that they were restricting those two types, but they also were going to leave it up to the doctor. And if it made sense medically, right? Like basically if that was the right thing to do, then the doctor could use it. And the way it was worded made it seem like, well, the doctor still had free reign to make the decision to treat patients with the monoclonal antibodies. Again, I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying the way this was worded, right? And what it made it seem like is, if doctors aren't electing to use a treatment that works, then ethically they're not doing a good job and they're kind of on board with any kind of conspiracy that could be going on. And that's a lot of doctors that when you look at the big pictures, a lot of them don't, they're not a part of this, right? They're just going to work and doing their job and treating it and and reading up just like we are. Right. So, where like it's hard for me to i i know again i agree with you as far as the government is saying things to get by and and cover their own ass on this but could you're saying doctors didn't have that freedom at all no in fact every doctor throughout florida florida was primarily where they were using monoclonal antibodies the most including regeneron and he and biden pulled that from there 
There were multiple of those, yeah. And as a result of January 24th decision to ban Regeneron and two other monoclonal antibodies, Regeneron's a combination of two monoclonal antibodies, and there's another drug combination of two others that were being used around the country in some states, including mm -hmm. Texas, but primarily in Florida. From the time January 24th dropped, they kicked all the monoclonal antibodies out of Florida, and they pulled it out from everybody being able to use it. And medical doctors were writing to me saying, mm -hmm. I cannot believe that they're stripping us of the ability to use monoclonal antibodies because we're still dealing with Delta here. That's what they kept saying. We're still dealing with Delta variants. For me, it was not as it reads on the CDC's website. Up. You kind of cut out the. Uh, oh, there you go. No, 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 none of the states. Puerto Rico, none of our U.S. territories can be using any of these monoclonal antibodies anymore. The only one on the January 24th FDA update they said that they would allow to use was Citrovimab. And then they mm -hmm. said, because it's the only one showing any promise to Omicron, then they said there's a drug from Merck called Maldipirnavir, a drug from Pfizer called Paxlovid, and the drug infusion called Remdesivir can now be used at monoclonal antibody sites as mm -hmm. the only drug to treat the covid Omicron variant. And I was like, what? That's ridiculous. And none of these doctors want to use remdesivir in these infusion centers. But that's yeah. what they did. The very the very same day the FDA said you can use citrovimab, I went into the media and published the last study and reviewed it from December 2021. They actually found that citrovimab in their research study for COVID-19, it was supposed to be a three-month trial. Mm -hmm. When they gave citrovimab, this monoclonal antibody, for five days to the treatment group all of the non-treatment group was doing better than the group with the five days of monoclonal antibody so they canceled the trial they just canceled it that's what that was the last study the fda was saying this supports the use of citrovimab against omicron and i was like don't trust it it doesn't work the very next week they started publishing on medscape and uh, other medical journals that omicron is not being affected at all by citrovimab and the fda no longer recommends it and i was like I knew they were going to do this. They're trying to get rid of monoclonal antibodies in a very kind, gentle way. They, they picked one that doesn't work and said, you can use that one only. Get rid of Regeneron, these other ones. This, they're, they're playing with all of you. I mean, they're mm -hmm. playing with you, and it's disgusting. Why aren't they promoting vitamin C? That works for phospholipase enzyme, but supposedly the biomarker for SARS-CoV-2. Why don't you go use it? Why aren't you pumping that into the veins of all hospital people like they did in China from January of 2020? Mm -hmm. figured out they could cure all COVID patients with high dose vitamin C. Why aren't they doing that? America continues to not do that. And we now have over a million dead COVID-19 citizens. No other country is even close to us. China has like six or 7,000 total. <laughs> well, you're getting into it. You're getting into another conversation like with, with you're, you're, you're thinking rationally and promoting healthy alternatives, right? Yeah, which would make our society healthier, healthier, which doesn't pay. All right. There's no, there's no money in, in, in healthy people. All right. Sad. It is sad, but it's the truth too. And I've talked about this extensively on my show it has not, nothing to do with COVID, right? It's just, why don't we incentivize healthy activities, healthy treatments, whatever. And, and there's no incentive for certain individuals, certain companies, whatever, right. To do that because it doesn't pay. Now, as far as the hydrochloroquine and the ivermectin in Florida, I know there that was basically up to the doctor whether or not they wanted to uh, prescribe something like that. Yeah. Why aren't more doctors making that readily available? Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, 
Peter McCullough and I are, do a lot of events together and he speaks on the fact that he's disappointed. There's over a million licensed medical doctors in this country and only less than 500 even speak up against the mandated protocols, like to go off label or to do prescriptions. And him and I have been in, I think, eight different Capitol buildings the last four months. You know, we tell these senators and state reps, you need to call in the state medical board mm-hmm. and the state pharmacy board. It's not just that medical doctors aren't trying to get hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin to their patients. Do you know that the pharmacy boards for the states are telling pharmacists in their state to not fill prescriptions that medical doctors write? If it's hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, corticosteroids, budesonide, and it's for COVID, they're actually telling their pharmacist to ask the patient, is this for COVID? And then not fill it. Now, this is why we tell state reps to bring in the pharmacy boards and quiz them why it is they're illegally telling pharmacists to practice medicine without a license. That's what I was wondering. Illegal. They can't, they don't prescribe medication. Nope, they're not. And it's disgusting. So this is a big, huge, like conspiracy where yeah. they're actually punishing doctors by t- threatening them with their license or their job at a hospital if they prescribe anything off of the hospital protocol. Now, the hospitals are incentivized. They don't have any incentive in in taking part in any kind of uh, alternative effective treatment, though, because they're getting money for the hospitalizations, the deaths, all that, too. They're getting, you know. They get 20% on the whole hospital bill if they only use remdesivir as the antiviral treatment. And now, is that coming from the government or is that coming from Gilead? That comes from CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. They're paying 20% additional money. Mm. So the government, yeah. Yep. For every single patient, if they will just give them remdesivir. And if they do it for five days, they'll put a 20% bonus on the whole bill. Now, the problem with that I have Mm. is if the FDA and the NIH, which they do say there's only one approved FDA drug to treat hospitalized COVID-19 patients, and that drug is remdesivir, Mm. there's only one. There's only one. If there's only one that they can pick from, why is Medicare bribing all hospitals with a 20% bonus payout to just use the one? Don't you think they could save a whole bunch of money if they just let them use the one and only drug they're allowed to use anyway? Then all the senators look at me and go like this, Dr. Harris, why would they incentivize them to use the one and only drug that's FDA approved? All right, now H approved. And I'd go, you tell me. And they would go, it doesn't make any sense. And I said, it does if you want to kill elderly people. Well, I'll tell you what, what the backwards part of that is too, is right now we're hearing that Medicare is supposed to be negotiating prices down, not marking 20% premiums on them. This has been marked up 20% on the whole bill for over a year and a half now. It's a, yeah. Now, now we're getting into a conversation that's more along my lines, and I, I love it, but I want to get back to the, the uh, overall conversation here. You had a slide on Watch the Water that went through pretty fast. Is at the end of the thing talking about D-dimers. Now, on the slide, and I have the exact slide pulled up here, you know, it says, the dimer is the de- degradation product of crosslink fibrin. Therefore, it reflects ongoing active activation of the hemostatic system since there is a constant minimal physiological fibrin formation and degradation in vivo. Healthy individuals have a minimal D-dimer level and so on, right? I just want to show you that I had the exact wording here. And when you were with Mike Adams and Stu Peters, you said, hey, read that fifth bullet point. And it says what doctors look for when there's elevated D-dimers. Uh, and it was snake venom poisoning. Now, I pause the slide, though. And right afterwards, it says, 
D-dimer levels will also be elevated when there's a pregnancy, inflammation, which is the, going back to the SPLA2, malignancy, trauma, post-surgical treatment, liver disease, heart disease. So the comorbidities that are often seen with uh, COVID patients going to the hospital, being treatment, treated and or dying, they would also have D-dimer levels regardless if it was a snake and venom infection. You know, this is where I was like, well, yeah, snake venom's there, but I can go on to uh, WebMD, say I have a headache, and it's going to tell me I have cancer or something, right? And so a lot of the stuff, the snake venom, to me, seems like, well, there's a plausible explanation with the comorbidities as well that plays into this. That has nothing to do with the snake venom infection. So I do want to just bring this to light, right? You are absolutely correct. There isn't just one thing that causes everything in relationship to diseases with human beings. Mm. So you just have to understand when you, when you, when I started putting this lens on that to look at this as venom, Mm. all I did was keep looking. Is there a relationship to everything mysterious with COVID? It was, it was like so ridiculous. It was like, does hydroxychloroquine inhibit snake venom? Oh my God, it does. Could Mm. that be a plausible reason why they don't want to recommend hydroxychloroquine? Yes. What about zinc? Oh my God, it's inhibitory also and protective. Mm. What about corticosteroids? Oh my God, it is also. Mm. Why do they keep restricting this stuff from medical doctors who are saving lives with them? That doesn't make any sense. And then you've got a doctor named Charles Hoff in Mm. British Columbia, Canada, who is giving the Pfizer vaccines, not just to people with comorbidities, Mm. he's giving it to teenagers and young adults who have no comorbidities and they're coming back, 60% of them getting their mRNA vaccines, they're coming back with those elevated D-dimers, mm-hmm. which can be caused by snake venom poisoning. Yeah, You don't think that rang out like a like a huge church bell, like, oh my God, go look. And then mm-hmm. I went like this. It could have been shocking, and I wouldn't have even looked any further. I could have went like this. This is what I did. Drew, who created the COVID-19 shots that medical doctors are saying 60% of their mRNA vaccinated people have elevated D-dimers? And there's a reference on here, one of the bullet points, not the descriptors underneath. One of the five big ones is snake venom poisoning. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, let's just see. Did Who invented these shots? To my shock, it was Drew Weissman and Catalina. You know how basic this and easy it was like this? Catalina Carrico and Drew Weissman and snake venom research. That's all mm-hmm. I typed. And I hit enter. Imagine my shock. The first website article online peer-reviewed published in 2009 by these two out of five authors are funded by anthony fauci doing a study on mrna for gene editing therapy using snake venom mm-hmm. uh, yeah i have a problem because these shots they're credited with could possibly be linked to snake venom poisoning and it mm-hmm. could explain all the array of horrific vaccine injuries yeah all of them all of them could be explained with snake venom Mm. not necessarily comorbidities that exist in your family history tree no it can be from snake venom and i wanted to know did they do any research with snake venom oh my god they've been funded for 13 years by anthony fauci using snake venom phosphodiesterase that cleaves rna and dna they say to insert mrna into your your dna Mm. that's disgusting what if they're what if they're really using snake venom phosphodiesterase and it explains the d-dimers what mm-hmm. if? Well, then that's disgusting, and I want to sue them and figure out. Well, I don't need to sue them first. <laughs> and we're going to find out if what's in these shots, if there's snake venom or anything related to snake venom in these shots or snake venom organoids, mm-hmm. which I think's 
in them, by the way. Hmm. I actually think they have venom gland organs called organoids that you do not need a snake attached to. You just put it in a petri dish and it sits there and makes venom forever. You just got to put stuff into the water with it and it will just sit there and make venom. This is how they make venom in labs. You don't need snakes anymore. I think they're in the shots. Go look at Dr. Eric Enby's video from last summer out of Sweden. He shows it. It looks just like an organoid from a snake venom gland in the Pfizer shot, emitting particles, he says, that's going to cause disease and death to organs in the body of the person that receives these injections. Mm-hmm. And it just keeps reproducing. Everybody said the hydrolyzing. Is that what that is? there and reproduces nonstop these particles that he is an expert for 50 years studying molecules under slides that cause chronic illness and disease and mm-hmm. this is not a joke they ask him as he's showing this stuff in the slide from the pfizer shot this guy goes can i show you this little clip from luke montagnier who discovered hiv virus mm-hmm. this guy is being asked about the covid19 vaccines and what his worry is with the shots and Luke Montagnier, who's a Nobel Peace Prize Award winner, he said, with every COVID-19 shot and booster, these shots are killing parts of the immune system. And as we destroy the immune system over and over and over, like your ability to produce white blood cells and fight infection, as we destroy those with every shot, the human body is going to be able to make variants around your immune system that's been damaged, and it's going to continue to perpetuate the pandemic. They looked at this guy, Dr. Eric Enby, who's got his slides of the Pfizer vaccine that looks like a snake venom gland thing in there. He doesn't say it's what it is. just looks just like one. And he goes, what do you think, Doc, about Luke Montagnier's claims? Is this how the shots are injuring people? And the guy goes, nope, that's not at all what's happening. This substance, this thing that's inside these shots is producing particles and putting it into the vial. And these particles destroy the cells of the heart the pancreas the kidneys the liver the brain people are going to be dying from the effects of these over time as whatever this is is releasing these particles well Mm -hmm. i actually believe it's snake venom organoids he's looking at and you can look at the slides and check it out the truth is though snake venom organoids can't live in a human they can't live in warm-blooded creatures Mm -hmm. they can live in room temperature or colder and sit there and thrive, but they come from cold, cold-blooded creatures. When you put it into a human or a mouse that's a mammal, it, it experiences what is called heat shock, and it dies and can't produce any more venom. Well, the problem with this is Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, all these vials are sent out in refrigerated trucks, mm-hmm. and there's a certain cold temperature they have to keep them at. If there's organoids in there, that means that forever long they're sitting in a refrigerator or in a refrigerated truck, it doesn't matter. We're in a lab in a refrigerator, it's able to sit there and secrete venom the whole time it's sitting there. You don't even have to. You don't have to disclose what you sent out. It's going to be sitting there making more poison as it's sitting there on the in the refrigerator. And I have a problem thinking that could be in there. Well, just so, we are going to be testing this. I already have labs set up to actually evaluate all three of the vaccines currently on the market, thanks to people who have gotten these for me now. Mm-hmm. And uh, after we release this stuff, it's time to go prove it. So what about the, okay, now the Johnson Johnson, they don't use mRNA technology, do they? They use what's called an adenovirus vector. Mm-hmm. So wh- how would that, and I don't know this, but I just, you know, with the, they don't use the mRNA, and I know a lot of this revolves around the use of the mRNA. How does that play into this theory? Yeah, so that's a great question because somebody sent me this and I'll show you. 
because I have concerns of my own about these adenovirus vectors. This is a patent, not mine. It's a patent for the recombinant novel coronavirus human replication. Oh, sorry. Using replication deficient human adenovirus as a vector. Okay. Adenovirus vaccines are Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca. Okay. This is a, y'all can look this up. That's the patent number on Google patents. Imagine my shock to read this first sentence, how you prepare it. It's kind of blurry. Hold on. It's getting low. Uh, back it away from the screen just a little. Uh, it's still a little blurry. But uh, I'll look it up. And I think you held right, up in so another I'll video. Read it, <laughs> it reads, take 50 microliters of the vaccine candidate strain venom, seed solution, and add two microliters of proteinase K. Um, and and that's the Johnson that's Johnson patent you're saying. Um, this is actually a... Adenovirus vector COVID-19 vaccine, which is what Johnson & Johnson is. Mm -hmm. This is a Chinese manufacturer of the same vaccine. Okay. And wouldn't it be amazing if they just, you know, slipped up and meant to write virus and then put venom? Wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah, that'd be really Good funny. Coincidence. <laughs> be quite the coincidence. Yeah. Misspellings are okay. Typos aren't. <laughs> yeah. Typos, misspellings, yeah. Uh, venom and virus are not technically the same. But uh, anyway... I so I got, I got one more question and I'll get you uh, to my theory uh, with this. But um, the last thing, you know, and you talked a lot about the conflict of interest with some of these big pharma companies and, um, and all that. When I click on the link, though, that was in the Rumble description, the DrArtistShow.com, what it pulls me up to is you selling uh, anti-V supplements. Now, the supplements are good supplements. It's like zinc and natural things. I already had them. Now – and I know because I, I believe your business has been around for since before COVID. Yeah. But don't you think that it should be disclosed as a conflict of interest somewhat, even though it's not really a huge one, right? But the fact that you are presenting a uh, venom theory and then you have a product that you're pitching as an anti-venom supplement somewhat that you're going to make money off of. And I don't care. I hope you freaking make millions. I'm just saying, though, as far as a conflict of interest goes, don't you think that that would need to be disclosed? And you can see where – when I'm going through all this, I have skepticism, and then I go to the thing and it says that, and then you scroll down a little bit, and uh, it has a picture of a water filtration deal on your website too, right? And it's like, well, is he presenting this to make sales, or is he presenting this because it's legit? And and that's why I figured I'd ask. Don't you think that would need to be disclosed? Uh, sure. So just so y'all know, out of the eleven supplements I sell on my site and have been doing for a long time. Stu Peters asked me if I could help offset some of the costs for him to make a film, bring in a film crew. And I said, I probably. And he goes, well, is there any of the anti-venom solutions that you looked at from research studies? You already have some of those as a part of your product line. Mm -hmm. And I said, actually, I do. I have like three. Actually, I have like four. It's zinc, vitamin C, mm -hmm. quercetin, yeah. and something else. Yeah. And I it's said, like a package, yeah. I said, actually, I do have like four out of my 11 that can actually be used. Mm -hmm. And if you notice at the end of the documentary, uh, his film crew decided to list out all of the things that can be used as antidotes against venom. Yeah. There's like 12 things. Yeah. I'm not selling all 12. I didn't make like some big combo box to sell an anti-V thing. It was no. just, I, all I did was say, I've got four of these. If you want to help me offset some of the costs. So mm -hmm. I did. I'm actually going to share some of the revenue to help offset yeah. some of this cost. But that's no, and that's fine. And I and I wanted to give you a chance to just explain it because I was critical of that. I was, right? Yeah. I'm going through it and I have these questions and all of a sudden I see that. I'm like, you know, what is this? 
And so uh, I figured I'd ask you. Check this out. Somebody, the guy that helps me run my company sent me this earlier today. You want, you should see my response. <laughs> this is what it was. I'll show it to you. I thought it was so funny. Look at the, look at the title of this article he sent. Can you see it? Fauci Collins shared in secret NIH royalties. Oh yeah. Oh, you know, I, I already know. Yes. Yeah. Listen, my response was this. Wow. Can you say conflict of interest? Just maybe. And then I said, and a few people complain that I'm making money selling supplements for helping with COVID. Uh, and then I looked at him and I said, I want you to help me figure out how to make $350 million in royalties off of supplements to save people's lives. <laughs> it doesn't matter then. And look, hey, I, I get it. I have to disclose when I own $100, one share of $100 stock if I even think about talking to a client about it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, you got people with millions of dollars invested in, in not saying nothing. Yeah. But, you know, I was just saying, you have the theory, and then you have that, and uh, I just want to ask the reason. Yeah, I mentioned on there hydroxychloroquine. I mentioned corticosteroids. I mentioned bentonite clay. I mentioned all kinds of stuff as the antidotes, but I don't have those. All I said yeah. was, here's some things I already have if you want to make it easy for you, or, mm -hmm. or I could have actually sent you away to, you know, 11 or 12 different companies looking for all the same products. I just yeah. happen to have some already. Yeah. You don't and, have to buy them. <laughs> and you know what? But I will say this. And, and in, your, in your defense on this, right? Because I noticed you're not on YouTube. This pro I'm on my last strike on YouTube, by the way. <laughs> so this is probably when I put it up, it's, it's on my, a weak band. But oh, it, yeah. so be it, right? It'll be on Rumble too. I think part of it, other than the theory with COVID, I think some of it would be the zinc and the vitamin C and some of your recommendations on that. But you should be taking those regardless. If Period. COVID didn't exist, exactly. right? These are all things that... All of these I recommend daily. Yeah. The only reason I even brought it up is because it said anti-V supplements. And that's it. But other than that, they're good supplements. Like, it's nothing you shouldn't be taking. Not everyone should be taking at all. So it's not like it's some crazy, you know, workout thing you've created or, or you're sponsoring or whatever. And so don't get me wrong. And, and I want everyone to yeah, know that like, you should be taking this stuff. Yeah, can I give you another explanation? I thought this was very funny. People have actually said, medical doctors have said, who have built businesses off of COVID-19, they've actually said it would be bad for their businesses and their mm -hmm. reputation to be seen at events with me now that I brought this stuff up. I have to tell you something. Okay, I released supplements a long time ago before COVID to help address internal issues. It's just what I've done for 20-something years. Mm -hmm. But last November... I actually released a brand new supplement I formulated. Do you know what it's called? What's Doc's that? Viral Defense. <laughs> and it's five combinations of supplements in a capsule that I put together and actually market as a viral defense product. Hmm. Okay, listen. This has been my number one seller this whole time. If any of you are worried about how this was going to affect your business, uh, my number one selling product is a viral product. I came out saying, uh, I don't even think this is a virus. I think it's actually venom. You don't think this is going to be suicide to my business? It was the number one seller. <laughs> like, um, it didn't matter. It yeah. doesn't matter. The, the thing that matters is saving your life. And mm. I'm just doing the best I can at providing products, providing education, material, research mm. to make sense out of this insane evil called COVID-19. Yeah. I'm doing my best to try to make sure there's stuff available to you. All the stuff in the Doc's Viral Defense works against Venom. It just mm -hmm. wasn't a Venom perspective I had when I actually released that product. Yeah. Before. No, I get it. And, and again, look, you got me thinking, right? And I know that was your goal, whether yeah. I believed it or not. And it worked. 
okay, here we are having a conversation. I appreciate you giving me your time. Uh, and I will say this. So where I think if it's a virus, if it's uh, uh, a venom or whatever, I don't care, right? If it's not being transmitted like they've been telling us through the air and, and touch and all that stuff, right? I don't think it's through the water because I think that there are so many discrepancies there that make it difficult. And again, going back to my original question, like, well, why didn't everyone get it in New York City, you know, within a, that's on city water within a four day period, two week period, right? But I do think it would be very, very, very plausible uh, to have it in a fertilizer. Fertilizer is one of those actually. In produce, you get it from the produce. How many people wash their produce? A lot of people do, but a lot of people don't, right? You come home, you eat the fruit, you eat the grapes, right? And all insecticides and all that stuff, pesticides, all that. They could be putting in there and you easily, and then it could be transmittable through the air once someone gets it. But look at where we import a lot of our products from, our food products now from China or from South America or, you know, Asia places that are out of the country. So it may not be the United States doing it. It could have been Chinese doing it. And that's how they were getting it here or anywhere else. Because uh, they're not importing water into North Korea. But North Korea had cases. And it'd be hard for someone to go in there and from the outside in North Korea and poison their entire water supply, right? But they do import food. They do import produce because they can't grow enough and they're getting it from china so that's where i think it'd be more plausible for it to be coming from would be produce could be absolutely yeah you know that's my theory i figured i'd let you hear that but the water was hard for me to get behind but the produce i i absolutely think with everything that they spray and with everyone not not always washing their stuff down and as far as how it's imported around the world i mean look at how much Europe relies on Chinese produce. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. They were the first ones that got sick. Italy. Yeah. Do you know that uh, the bat lady was really interesting? When I started interviewing people here at my house for security, after Zeb Zelenko came out and told me I was number one on an assassination list, did you know about this? I, I heard you say something about the assassination list, and I heard you say something about the bat lady. Uh, uh, the security guard that you had was the same for her. Yeah, for the bat lady that uh, was going around New York from the Wuhan lab. It was very interesting. He was asking me, what do I need security detail for? And I said, well, it's come to the attention. I'm on some Pfizer assassination list per some doctors I trust. And uh, anyway, he goes, well, what are you claiming? And I said, uh, I believe COVID is uh, they're using venom to make people sick. And he goes, well, how would they distribute that? And I said, I think they're doing it through the water, like through our water systems. <laughs> and he goes, water? Uh, do you know I was actually assigned a security detail for the bat lady? Did you ever know that lady from Wuhan? And I was like, you were? He said, yeah. He goes, well, I had to accompany her in New York and throughout Washington, D.C. for the month she was there. And I said, uh, okay. And he goes, do you know that in the congressional hearings, our national congressman at the National Capitol Building asked this bat lady from Wuhan, do you ever experiment with your gain-of-function testing pathogens to determine can you create a pandemic with your pathogens? and then control the outbreak. And she said, yes. And they said, how do you do that? And she says, it's easy. We at the, the Wuhan lab, we select the city close to Wuhan lab. <laughs> we pick a community. And then we take our gain of function pathogen, we put it in water and we freeze it. 
And then we mm-hmm. chop it up into ice and we go deliver it to the community and they drink it. And when they drink it, they all get sick. And then we take our vaccines to them and then we try to save their life. And that's how we learn to control the pandemics. Well, this, what, this guy goes, this is the, only the second time I've ever heard anybody reference water uh, as a possible delivery system. And I said, my wife's going to freak out because I was just on a plane. And I said, you know, how easy it would have been to just put it in the ice machines or the ice on the plane and then blame people after they got sick coming from China or Italy or France and say, oh, they got sick three days later after they landed in America. You brought it from France. How do you know it went in your water? And going to Wuhan, right? Okay, so you have the uh, Wuhan market. Well, if they're they're bringing in animals, they got to put them on ice. Yeah, put them on ice. And then they already got the, the all the animals that they are blaming this from coming on being sold at the market. Oh yeah, great scapegoat. I mean, it, it's perfectly plausible, right? I think the the um the produce deal is plausible. I think that it could be water, just not is in the form of the drinking water. You know, it's it could be water being sprayed on the produce or water being used to mix the fertilizer, this pesticides. It could to be, be in the ice, or they really could just be putting it in your water. <laughs> they really can. They were doing it back in the seventies. They could be doing it now. Yeah. It's pretty disturbing. It just seems logistically, as far as the entire world, because when you look at the countries that have had COVID cases, some of them are like out in BFE, like you know, and get everyone gets water from so many different sources around the world. Yeah, logistically, it's just. Have you gone over the wastewater surveillance tab on COVID nineteen cdc.gov? You should go through there. It's pretty interesting. People around the world were sending me this thing. Mm. Right after this dropped, remember, I don't have time to look at everything on the planet, but they were sending me these images of the 400 testing sites mm-hmm. for COVID-19 in America, the water wastewater surveillance sites. And then they put a map right over the top of it of all the outbreaks of cases of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. They're identical to all the testing treatment facility sites. It's pretty wild. Now, it's either they just picked the 37 most populated cities in the country, mm-hmm. and that's the only place they're getting cases from, but I don't think so. Or uh, they really can be overlapping, and it could be related to that. So I, I don't you, trust the CDC and how they've been handling the pandemic. I definitely don't trust them saying that they're testing your poop water as a mm-hmm. predictor of an outbreak of a respiratory virus in your town. Now, that water could be going out to your agricultural centers and mm-hmm. could be poisoning your food you're going to be eating later. If they're finding the bioweapon inside your wife's water. Have you seen any statistics regarding – because remdesivir wasn't – used from the beginning now it wasn't used long after this started but not at the very beginning like the first couple months i don't believe and then the vaccine wasn't readily available until so remdesivir was started to be used in hospitals in new york in march of 2020 okay so but people were dying before that were they yeah i mean i think people started dying at the end of what when in march the end of march like when I think of March, I'm thinking when market fell out because that's when it made an impact on me. March, but March, they already started doing studies in America with remdesivir, January first of 2020. Was it widely available, like regularly for hospitalized patients at that point, no, or no, they, they specifically used it in New York City during the epicenter? Mm-hmm. And they that's what they that's the only thing they gave patients in New York when they got them all sick. They so what about Washington? Because wasn't Washington really the first? like multi-outbreak, like where we heard about this, uh, you know, like was it a nursing home or something in Washington and you had people dying there. So if it was only in New York, so people were dying of COVID before the remdesivir and before the vaccine. So, uh, you know, well, they didn't just use remdesivir to kill people. 
I've what? already testified to this with Dr. Veneer Fulmick's group. I actually went through all the ways in which the UK and America mm-hmm. from the beginning used end of life protocols to murder people in nursing homes and call it COVID. And they didn't use remdesivir. They used morphine and midazolam in combination. And they just went into nursing homes to kill people and called it COVID just to scare you. So and I think, I, and I, I think this is one of the parts I actually agree with you on, because I did see where once you go on a ventilator, your chances of living are slim to none, if at all. And like you brought up, once if they're putting you on a ventilator, they got to relax you to put you on a ventilator. How are they doing that, right? They're shoving a tube down your throat. You're not going to lay there and let them yeah. do that. And your body at that point gives up its its ability to breathe on its own, especially as someone who's that old. So, I again, I don't know the statistics. I just know your chances are slim to none once they do that. So what you're saying is basically some of these elderly people, extreme elderly people, they're kind of forcing that a little sooner than need be. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. In the UK and here in America, they were actually going into nursing homes and they were doing midazolam morphine injections combos. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this, midazolam has been banned from multiple states in the United States mm-hmm. as a part of the cocktail for lethal injections because they considered its dying processes too inhumane. Midazolam. And midazolam is being used in end of life care in America and a part of our sedation plan for people going on a vent. What this stuff is super deadly. It stops the heart, stops the diaphragm from breathing. That's how they kill you. What do you think, from the government's perspective? What do you think their goal is with this? Like, what's the purpose of doing this? Oh, it's easy. Number one, they want to take the strain off of Medicare and Social Security here in the United States, so they're going to kill a whole bunch of the baby boomers with remdesivir and COVID nineteen protocols in hospitals and mm-hmm. sedation drugs and the mRNA vaccines. That's, That's now. I don't know if you've said that. In an interview, I haven't heard you say that. I yeah. like that explanation as far as taking the strain off of uh, the financial burden of Social Security and Medicare. I never say too much about Medicare, but Social Security is the biggest uh, scam in our history, yeah. right? And it's also our biggest expense. Uh, so on my age, I can't stand it, especially being 1099. I have to pay the entire portion of it. I cannot stand it. But that's a good explanation. I actually like that. I like that you gave me that. And I, I, I can see that. Uh, but you have some people that go as far as like, oh, they're trying to depopulate the earth. And I don't get on board with that because they start talking about the elites where you need the elites need people to run the economy <laughs> and keep them as elites. Look, right. That is something I've talked about nonstop. Like, you understand the elitists always need servants. They're not going to kill everybody off. Exactly. Just, you can't just have one group of elitists. Yeah. And the people who talk about that actually do say, no, they, they just want two classes. They want to get rid of the middle class. They just want to have the wealthy class and the lower class. That's what they want. That's what they say. Well, you just have to understand, there is a massive eugenics program first. They're actually killing elderly people right now. That's what they're doing. They're targeting them first and those with comorbidities. Uh, in fact, they're targeting diabetics mm-hmm. out the gate. After you go to old people, killing them in hospitals and nursing homes and with vaccines, the next target group are diabetics. The next target group is heart condition patients. These are these are some of those useless eaters they believe need to be taken off the planet because well, they're you, well, you look okay again, I know the statistics on this. You go look at the top uh four leading causes of death besides COVID. I don't know where that listed at last year or the year before, but it was heart disease, diabetes, um accident and uh or former cancer which some of the forms of cancer, when you look at what causes them, 
being overweight, right? A lot of them are tied to obesity. We have a substantial obesity problem here in the United States. Of course. Going back to just natural supplements and being healthy, right? You know, easing the burden. So if you're saying, well, the baby boomer statistically is the largest population we have here, you know, uh, they are putting a big strain on Social Security because they didn't mathematically think that process out. And once that's dwindled down, they take some of that burden off. Now you go back to the people that are relying on it below age 65, which are people who are disabled. When you look at what the majority of disabilities are actually linked to arthritis, I believe, and most of that arthritis is caused by obesity-related issues. And it starts to make sense. Well, and yeah, and the other stuff with diabetes, right? Um, But most of diabetes, I know you have type 1, type 2, but a lot of the diabetes cases are because of obesity linked um, 90% of all of the 100 million pre-diabetics or diabetics in this country 90% of all of you are type 2 diabetics mm-hmm. which means it's completely nutritional you just need to change your diet drop right, and water, exercise eat more fruits exercise right drink water mm-hmm. stop drinking sodas and alcohol and other things yeah yes yeah, so you can totally reverse that in six months to a year yeah and that would save you from any kind of bioweapon they want to yeah. obviously yes and you know you you guys discuss it. Okay, it's like a slow killer. You know, I think uh, what one woman brought up. Why wouldn't they just go all out if they're wanting to do this? Find something that's just gonna. Yeah, the the problem is uh, unfortunately, if they just killed all, millions of people, and you needed bulldozers to clean up all the dead bodies. The murder becomes obvious. <laughs> like the the plot is too exposed. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna pick on elderly people. Blame it on comorbidities mm-hmm. that they couldn't survive because they had a virus also, and they already had these diseases. We're just going to pump them full of remdesivir and sedation drugs that kill people. We're just not going to tell you. That we're don't you think people. it'd be easier to explain to someone like myself or, or who, you know, someone a little bit older than me or whatever, you know, hey, we're going to shut this economy down. We're going to make you sit at home for two weeks because this could kill you in two, three days. And it's killing everyone from 50 and up and not 80 and up. I'd be a lot more reluctant to go out or do what they say. Wouldn't you, th- wouldn't you think so? I mean, wouldn't you think? Yep. Yeah. But well, it doesn't make any sense. You would imagine that they would think they'd have more control if they did that. Eventually, it will come back around, but you could explain shutting the economy down for something that kills 10% of people instead of something that kills less than 1%. Yeah, people don't stop try to – there's some people that are like, no, the government wouldn't do this. They wouldn't try to control us or kill us or starve us or affect our supply chain. Really? Go, go look at the ocean. Go look at Newport Beach. Go look at Los Angeles' port, and you explain to me. Why it is there's a thousand container ships sitting out there for six months to a year, not being allowed to dock and remove their supplies for our economy. Someone's not allowing them. And you tell me why it is they can fire nurses mm-hmm. in hospitals and then assign FEMA workers who are untrained to fit in their shoes. And they don't have to be vaccinated, but the nurses, the doctors who won't get vaccinated are getting fired. Why don't they send FEMA workers to the ports to run the cranes to get the containers off the boats so we can have supply and food here. Why, why are they doing that to people? Uh, well, it's a massive, yeah. massive travesty. Well, yeah, I mean, especially the nurses and doctors that have been around it since before there was a vaccine that have already gotten sick probably multiple times. They were considered heroes for the first year and a half of this pandemic. Yeah. Now you're a scumbag. Now you're villains and criminals because you won't take the shot. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. Yeah, I think uh, my whole hypothesis with the vaccine was, you know, they paid for it before they got it, 
right? It's like going to taking a date to dinner and paying for dinner before you, you get the meal. And you better hope that she freaking eats it at that point instead of letting her order something like based off of how hungry she is. Yeah. And so it, I always had it as that idea like, hey, we bought it. You're going to eat it. And they, however much they pumped into, let's say, just the American doses, how many billions of doses that is. Well, we're going to push this to make sure that, you know, you at least use up what we've already purchased from these companies. And then after that, they're going to turn it over to us. It's eventually going to come on to us. I think the, the average price they were expecting, again, this was before 85 9% inflation, uh, was like $70 to $140 uh, a shot for the private sector is what it was going to be. Now, the government paid, what, $16 a shot uh, from Pfizer, and I think a little bit less for the ones that they funded the actual production for. Uh that's going to be a huge moneymaker for these pharmaceutical companies. It's going to be a huge tax revenue for the government. And I just, I always was under the impression they're going to stop pushing the vaccine as soon as they give out so many vaccines equal to what they've purchased. And then they're just going to start raking in the tax revenue on it. And they're going to tax, you know, I'm going to have to go pay $150 to get my booster, my 20th booster, because I got to get it every month. That would yeah. be a great explanation to why it is you would want to keep the majority of people alive and continue to just offer boosters. Yeah. So there you go. I just contradict my own little thing <laughs> on why they don't go why they don't go all out. But I have said that from the no, beginning. That's a great reason, actually. Money is a great motivator to keep people alive just long enough. And just so you know, the disease, the vaccine schedule for children. I have five kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, my oldest is 21, 20, 18, 16, and 10. Mm-hmm. The 21-year-old was vaccinated up to one year. None of my other kids, nor him, has ever had a vaccine since. And it was mm. based on my research of vaccines. I was actually convinced over 20 years ago that the childhood vaccine schedule is designed to create diseases in children. And the pharmaceutical drug manufacturers make those shots. The CDC schedules those shots and even owns some of the patents on those shots that they recommend. And then the pharmaceutical companies that make the drugs as the cures or the management of the treatments of those diseases, symptoms that they create with the shots. I'm convinced it's one huge racket and it's no different here either. They created COVID-19 either through gain of function testing or weaponizing venoms. And now they're selling you the cure. Mm -hmm. It's just remdesivir and shots. And they made them all. (laughs) They made all of it. They made all of it. They created the disease. They're offering the cure. And we need to avoid all of it. and it's not, you know, it's not like a traditional vaccine. Here's the thing. They don't push the flu va- uh, vaccine. Why? Because you can still get the damn flu when you get, it's not like getting polio, right? Like, okay, they eradicated polio. All right, maybe I'll think about getting that polio vaccine then, right? It seemed like it worked. But this one, like the flu vaccine doesn't keep you from necessarily getting the flu. It may help. I don't know. You get it once a year. That's why they don't force you to go get it. Same thing. Why do I have to keep getting a shot every three months and they keep tightening it down, it seems like? regardless of whatever it's made of, you know, again, it's a money thing. It's a, um, and there, there's a, a lot of explanations, regardless of wherever you think it comes from that make complete sense. And as far as the vaccines, you know, there's the HPV vaccine came out after I was, I, I never got it, but kids younger than me had to get it in school. And I was doing some private coaching after I got them playing football uh, and graduated from college. And the kid I was coaching, his younger brother, who I think was maybe seventh grade at the time, got that HPV vaccine. 
he lost all the feeling in his body from his neck down. That's all from that. Yeah, he, he was able to run and do everything, but he, he had no sensation. Like he, if he put his hand on the stove, they had to be careful. You know, if it was hot, he wouldn't know. And I'm like, God, that's freaking horrible. That's awful. So, and it make, just makes you wonder how many people are having that reaction. You know, well. I appreciate you giving me more time than I asked for. Uh, yeah, I'm so, going to go to the next interview here in about 10 minutes. No, you're good. Uh, I do appreciate it. And, sure. um, you know, thank you. Um, I'll be – you said Friday you're having a trailer? Friday I'm going to release the trailer. from. It'll be live. I'll do it from the stage at the Reawaken Tour with General Mike Flynn and other people I'm going to be there with uh, in Myrtle Beach this Friday. Okay. It'll be between 1 and 2. We'll launch it, but it'll be, it'll be online. And it's Covenom 19? Covenom 19. Oh, and also in this interview, it's pretty awesome. But uh, in this documentary, the day I flew up to film with Stu Peters, I actually was online printing articles I had saved over the last five months that I wanted to take with me. And I'm uh, I go into my emails and I type in the word Cobra. Uh, that was just happened to be the first search word I used, and I printed all the articles there. But at the end of the second page of my own saved articles in relationship mm -hmm. with COVID nineteen and venom, was at the bottom of my second page was a list of a whole bunch of emails in a chain and it showed up in my Cobra search. And I was like, what in the world is that? Why would someone put the word Cobra <laughs> in an email? So I just clicked it to see what it was. There's a guy named Dr. Tau Braun, T-A-U-B-R-A-U-N. Mm -hmm. Dr. Tau Braun lives in New Jersey. He is, he works for the U S national counterterrorism unit. Mm -hmm. This guy's job is to prevent mass killings and prevent them and handle them. He trains and contracts with the FBI and the CIA. He trains FBI and CIA agents for years in preventing mass killings. That's his job using, and he does prevention of mass killings using biological weapons. Mm -hmm. In this email list I had, I opened it right as I was about to fly up the stupiders. I was like, what is this? Who wrote Cobra? And in the, in the actual email, to a group of everybody that's in this COVID-19, anti-COVID-19 movement, doctors, scientists around the world, this guy posted an email and said, everyone keeps calling this a respiratory virus. It's not a respiratory virus. It's envenomation. And here's a copy of my letter to the director of the FBI telling him that same thing. And it was dated June 22nd, 2021. Dr. Tal Braun, specializing in biological weapons, is a part of an advisory board for Venom Conventions worldwide. Mm -hmm. And he said every single symptom of COVID-19 is venom. Every single side effect of the mRNA shots is venom. They're envenomating the whole world. Now, he actually subsequently, unfortunately, that idea that he published with everybody to try to get these doctors to look at it in a different way, they immediately had a knee-jerk reaction and kicked him out of the group. Like, mm -hmm. through the email administration, they kicked him out. I couldn't believe the email was still in there. I called them, and I was like, hey, I don't, I don't know you, but you may know me. I'm Dr. Artis. He's like, of course I know who you are. And I said, I just came across some email you sent in June to the FBI. I'm just curious to know, did they say anything back to you? And he said, yes, I got a, a three-word letter back. That said, received, period, thank you, period. And that was it. And he's known this FBI director for years. And uh, anyway, he said, uh, they didn't tell, they, they just sent me that letter. And then I said, what was your next response? And he said, well, I was going to go public. If the FBI was going to ignore me, I was just going to go public. 
and start doing lectures and presentations and go to the media. And his buddies at the U.S. National Counterterrorism Unit told him, Tao, if you're going to do that, you know how the FBI is behaving with you right now and they're ignoring you and wanting to keep this hush? You should enter witness protection before you do this. That'd be smart. <laughs> so he didn't do anything. He got scared and just started working on antidotes for this. He's in the documentary also, and he talks about uh, – he says, I believe that God must have led me down this path of looking at Venom, mm-hmm. even not ever knowing about him. He said, there's no other way you got to this unless God was directing you to look at it this way. He goes, but you are 100% on. He does not believe it's in the water. He believes it's venom tied to a virus. It's yeah. out of here, like a lot of people do, and that's fine. He says, you're 100% correct about the venom. <laughs> it is venom. The mRNA vaccines, they are shooting venom into people. Mm. He says the next thing, and he talks about it in the documentary, the next die-off is going to occur when they aerosolize King Cobra Venom, which you can buy in a can, by the way, right now online. Mm-hmm. And he said, when they spray this in airplanes and in schools for all the people who are vaccinated, he said, you haven't even seen the die off yet. He goes, my job is preventing mass killings with biological warfare. I know what I'm talking about. The next thing is going to be weaponizing and aerosolizing venom in the air. And only the vaccinated who have venom already in their blood are going to develop rupturing hemorrhaging in their lungs when the venom from this side hits the venom from the inside. They're going to have massive bleeding into their lungs. It's going to scar tissue over, and they're going to develop what's called pulmonary fibrosis, and they will all die. That's what's coming next. That's the next die-off. Now, I didn't know anything about this stuff. I just learned about him, but, man, he has been – every day he texts me and he talks about new presentations he's getting invited to be a part of, and he's so excited. Mm-hmm. about uh, having the platforms now to be able to be interviewed because he's absolutely confident that that sounds terrible as a bioweapon specialist this guy's job he recognized this and i never even knew he existed until the day mm-hmm. i flew up to visit with Stu. and in between filming i was calling him and i was like what do you know about this what do you know about this and uh it's, it's been pretty mir- miraculous to watch so <laughs> sounds terrible by the way uh you made a comment in the Stu peter Stu peter's interview at the beginning that it could be from bats. The bats were hibernating. It was the wintertime. Well, so with the cold-blooded uh, snakes, they'd be hibernating too. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. I don't think they're actually using venom from snakes. I'm they're giving you a hard time. I'm just messing with you. I'm just giving you a hard time. No, uh, I was actually reading verbatim from Healthline magazine where it actually says uh, these bats hibernate in the winter. It's a very unlikely source. It's most likely snakes. And my first thought was like, oh, so the cold-blooded snakes are out. <laughs> when the bats are, are hibernating, right? That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but, hey, man, I appreciate it. Go on to your next interview, uh, and I'll get working on this. I'm going to try to put it up on YouTube. If you don't see me for a week on YouTube, you know what happened. So, <laughs> but it'll be up on Rumble. Uh, that sounds good, man. I'm proud of you. Good work. Thank you. You too. Well, see.